Well, good morning. Thank you. <laughs> um, just so you know, uh, this message by design is, is um, shorter. And uh, right from the beginning, when I put it together uh, weeks ago, um, it's just by design, it's not an hour and a half long message. So take heart, precious Christians. <laughs> the end is nigh. Okay, First Samuel, if you would, please. Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 3. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Speaking of filthy priests. Whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your servant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Um, because I need help, uh, I'd like to just ask the Lord for help one more time. Father, we just want to lay this time at your feet, and uh, our brother has already um, asked for this. Um, I just personally want to ask that you would help me to communicate the things that you've given to me. I pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would have free reign in this room over these next minutes to, to communicate to your people that which needs to be communicated. Father, thank you for this story. 
Uh, we pray that the Spirit of God would open it to us and go before us and, and just have, have His way with every life. Lord, we already sang it. Uh, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Lord, we cry out to you. We know that that's the right thing. And we pray, Father, that you would please just take our lives and use them for the greatest possible glory for Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would even perhaps right now open up our eyes and show us uh, things that need to be different for your glory, for your pleasure. Uh, realms of our lives, perhaps, that we've not been willing to consecrate. Doors in our, in our lives that we've not been willing to open up to you. Father, you're a good God. Uh, we just offer ourselves up to you and we offer this time up to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, um, this is, uh, if you're looking for a sermon title, this would be Hannah, the prayer of a barren bride. The prayer of a barren bride. And I just want to make uh, really just several observations of our text that we read. Observation number one, this would be point number one in my outline. She was burdened unto anguish over barrenness. Now I'm just going to offer you these thoughts for your uh, prayerful consideration. She was burdened unto anguish over barrenness. Look at verse number 10. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. I have the privilege of traveling amongst the people of God and um, as a whole, my evaluation of us, at least if you, if you just want to say of our circle of the Bride of Christ in North America, my observation is that as a whole, we're a fruitless people. Now, I would be so quick to say, praise God for every piece of fruit that exists. Uh, in Topeka, we, we, we have, we're a little bit like the assembly here. Um, we have a lot of outreaches, and the Lord does use it. Praise God. And the, the sowing is part of the, the work of God, and the watering is an essential part of the work of God. You and I do not have the power to, to harvest in that sense, right? I mean, we can't dictate to the Lord, um, okay, I don't want to sow and water anymore. I just want it to be harvest season now. We can't dictate those things. And with all of that fully in mind and praising God that He's the Lord of the harvest, it is still my decided conviction before the Lord that fruitlessness prevails uh, in, in our circles. Um, many assemblies are, are um, dying. Many places are just waiting for the last 10 Christians to get old enough and die, and then they'll sell the building and give the money to CMML. Um, some will close this year. Many will close in the next number of years. Um, we desperately need a fresh movement of the living God in our day. And I'm not, I, do, I have no desire to, plain, to paint a bleaker picture than what exists, but I equally don't have a desire to paint a rosier picture than what exists. Um, my decided conviction before the Lord is that this story is appropriate for, for where we are, a, a, fruitless, a fruitless people. Um, I already told you bits and pieces about what the Lord has done in my life in terms of conviction about apathy in my life toward the lost, things like that. And I asked the Lord to change me and give me a different heart. Um, and the, the Lord has, he's done that. Um, 
the Lord knows how far I have to go, and I'm more disgusted with my sin and my shortcomings than I ever have been before in my life. Um, just a desperately needy little man that's amazed that God would allow me any part in his family or his work. But we went to Six Flags as a family last May. We were in Texas, and um, we took a day, and, and we bought tickets, went to Six Flags, and it was a fun it was a fun day. My kids like roller coasters. I tolerate roller coasters. I used to like roller coasters back in the day. Um, today, I feel a little bit sick when I get off of them. Um, but, but it's funny because it's like half the day was, was just a fun blessing from the Lord. And I'll, I, I have a hard time articulating these things. I'll, I'll just say it the best way I know how. The other half of the day was torture. Um, I did my best all day long. Um, I did, actually didn't pray because I did my best all day long to be a good husband and a good father. And um, my wife and my kids would go off to the restroom and I would sit down on a bench and then, and then I would start looking at them, just, just masses of people, hundreds of people, thousands of people walking around this park desperately in need of Jesus Christ, and I'm just overwhelmed by my helplessness to reach them. And I don't mean, I don't mean that I can't make myself be bold. Um, and I, I, I mean, I said this a couple times, I do those things, right? I give out tracts and gospel CDs at drive through windows, and, and I try to talk to the people sitting next to me on planes. And I mean, I very much feel a conviction before the Lord that what Paul said in Romans 1, I owe it to these people to share the gospel with them, right? He didn't put it in those words. He said, I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, the wise and the unwise. But that's what he's saying. I owe it to these people. And I feel the weight of that. So I do make myself do it. And I'm not talking about reaching the ones or the twos with, with the gospel. I mean the masses. And so I just would sit there on a bench and at one point, I actually wanted to pray, but then I stopped myself knowing that if I started to pray for these people, I would sit, and maybe this was wrong, but I knew that I would sit there and I would cry. And so I stopped myself. My family came back, and I smiled and got up, and, and on with the day we went. I got on a plane, it was actually after the workers' conference in Colorado Springs, and and Delta thought the best way to get me to Detroit was to fly through Atlanta. So, so I got on a plane in Colorado Springs, and I flew to Atlanta. And then I was going to go to Detroit for a weekend conference in Windsor, Ontario. And on that flight from Colorado to, to um, Atlanta, I had thoroughly enjoyed the week. And I just was so filled up with the Word of God. And, and um, I got on the flight, and uh, I, I tried to talk a little bit. And then they, whoosh, you know, everybody's plugged in these days. And so I thought, I'm going to read. And so I get my book out, and I'm, I start to read. I'm looking forward to this two-hour flight. And then, and then I don't know any other way to explain it than just to say um, I had to pray. I didn't really have a choice. I mean, I just I had to pray. And so I put my bookmark in my book, and I closed it. And then I just closed my eyes, and I just started to pray. And... Um, And then I just wept my way from Colorado Springs to Atlanta. And again, I'm just going to do my best to be forthright with you. I don't even like it. I wrote an email to a group of close friends uh, when I was on my layover. 
And I said, I'm tired of crying. I'm not tired of praying. I want prayer more than I've ever wanted it before in my life, but I'm tired of weeping. I'm tired of going through days after day after day feeling like I've attended the funeral of a, of a dearly loved family member. <laughs> if the Lord was going to leave me where I am now and not do anything, I would so much rather He just take me home than leave, leave me like this. And then I read this story and I see Hannah is, is burdened unto anguish over barrenness. And that just so overwhelmingly resounds with what I'm living. There is a birthing process that is painful. In a sense, agony to giving birth, so to speak, to a work of God. She's giving birth physically to, to Samuel. She's burdened unto anguish over her barrenness. Um, you read about revivals in this book, and you look around and you just see it's obvious. We're not here yet. So this would be prayer request number one, that the Lord would so move amongst his people and cause us to see how he sees that that we are burdened in ways that we're not right now. Burdened in ways that Jesus Christ wants us to be burdened. You know, it's a funny thing. I had to think, do, do I honestly want the people of God to be burdened? I mean, I had to think that through. There are times when I go down to my office and I want to spend time in prayer and I find myself in my heart just pulling back. I don't, I don't want to feel the weight of 530 million souls. Like, I just want to pull back from that. And then I honestly just had to say before the Lord, do I want people to feel burdened? And it's a funny thing because I don't want the people of God to be burdened in a sense, but then just as, just as quick, I want the people of God to feel the burdens that Jesus Christ feels. Does that make any sense? I want them to think how he thinks. I want them to feel how he feels. He's, he's a God of compassion. What does that mean? With to feel, right? Apathy. Without to feel. Pathos, right? Not to feel. Compassion. With to feel. He's a God of emotion. He's not driven by his emotions, of course. And I'm not trying to create an emotional people. But I do want the people of God to be burdened the way that he's burdened. And I pray that the Lord would, would change our hearts. And so um, you think of, Gen of Rachel in Genesis chapter 30. Give me children lest I die. Do you remember that little phrase? I do want the people of God to be burdened to the point that they're willing to set things aside and come out and just lift empty hands to the Lord and say, give me children lest I die. Just crying out to the Lord for fruitfulness amongst the people of God. Boy, we need it. Ottawa, Kansas. There's a tiny little assembly there. They've seen, they've seen um, four couples put their faith, at least if you want to be conservative, you could say four couples make professions of faith. 
to come to know Jesus Christ. None of them even live in Ottawa, Kansas anymore. It's a hard work. It's like farming on rock, right? They're working there. They've covered, I think now, they've covered every home in Ottawa, Kansas with the gospel. And I don't mean leaving things on the door. I mean talking to people. They keep track of who's home, who's not. Like they've been to every home, 13,000 people in Ottawa, Kansas. I mean, they're just working away. There's a guy named Scott. One of the times I went down there to visit, Scott was out at the assembly. He put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, was baptized, and then they had to discipline him for sin in his life that he refused to turn from. It's just been a hard work. I love that verse. I love that verse. And I pray this for Ottawa, Kansas. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. I love that verse. Ottawa, Kansas is a community that desperately needs Jesus Christ. You talk to people there about the gospel, and um, they immediately bring up all the religious hypocrites. Now, I've been all over North America, and, and um, I mean with door-to-door, and a lot of times when people talk about, oh, all the religious hypocrites, it's just an excuse, right? And there's hypocrites everywhere, right? There's hypocrites in, in here. I've lived as a hypocrite. Praise God, I'm not now, by the grace of God. But, there, there, you know, there's hypocrites here, there's hypocrites there. I mean, in, there's hypocrites all over. And a lot of times people just use that as an excuse. In Ottawa, Kansas, they're telling the truth. If I remember correctly, there's 40 local churches in Ottawa, Kansas. And, and I know a Baptist preacher there. Um, and he said there are two places in Ottawa, Kansas that I would recommend as far as preaching the gospel, right? Um, there's just a lot of religious hypocrisy. I mean, they're a desperately needy community. And you've got these families there begging people to come to Christ, systematically working their way through the community with the gospel, and they're just fruitless. And the Lord knows, um, I am not criticizing. I mean, I'm not criticizing. It's actually the exact opposite of that. We as a family go there once a month to try to help them in any way that we can. What I'm saying is, is we're just, in so, to such an extent, we're fruitless. We see people saved in our kids' work. Our theory is, we started our own camp. It's called Enosh Bible Camp. And our theory is that you sow the seed all throughout the year. So we have a kid's work on Tuesday nights, and you sow the seed all throughout the year. And then for some reason, the Lord seems to use these more intense times as harvesting times. It's just an observation. And so our theory is the kid's work during the year leads into the big works during the summer. Look, we have a vacation Bible school with like 120 kids. And then we run our two weeks of camp, one grade school, one junior high. So every month of the summer, May, June, July, we have a major event for kids. And we do see people saved. Praise the Lord. We see people saved in our evangelistic home Bible studies. Praise the Lord. Um, But we could live and die at this rate, and we would never even come close to reaching our little part of Topeka, Kansas. I think that that's a problem. I'm very happy to take my place in the church of God, in the bride of Christ. I constantly pray for the bride of Christ in the church of God. I have no desire to narrow that circle whatsoever, and I know that the Lord will use his bride as a whole. Praise the Lord for that. But somebody has to listen to what Jesus Christ has said and take him at his word. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, we're, we're not even reaching Jerusalem. I, I call that barrenness. And I'm not trying to make people, the people of God feel bad. Yeah, I, I just, I think it's where we are. So point number one, my point of application for point number one 
is, are you willing to be burdened? Are you willing to be burdened? Okay, point number two. In my outline, point number two. Um, she waited for years. She waited for years. Let's read it, verse number seven. So it was year after year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. No, I didn't read. Let's read six for context. Her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. I just want to make just this statement quickly. Um, our rival, so to speak, is, is mocking us. And, and I, I, haven't, I don't even care really how we feel about that personally, but, but I really hope that you love Jesus Christ enough that that bothers you. His name is a swear word. So utterly commonly. Um, the, the, the popular media, I mean, they, there is so little reality amongst us and so little power amongst us that um, they just think we're ridiculous. And again, I'm not personally offended by this, but I hope that we love Jesus Christ enough that we are jealous for him. You know the name Harry Ironside, I trust? He debated a man back in his day. And at the close of the debate, the atheist gentleman went first. And, and he gave his closing summary of arguments. And then Harry Ironside, desiring to be gracious and yet forthright, um, looked at this gentleman and he smiled. And, and uh, he said, I've heard what you've said. And he said, um, for every one person that you can produce on this stage who would say... Um, Atheism radically improved my life. You can find people that would say that, right? And so Harry Ironside, he's summing up his whole argument this way. For every one person that you can find that says atheism greatly improved my life, I can produce you a thousand people that say Jesus Christ radically improved my life. That's quite an argument, isn't it? Changed lives. Those ladies that sit in fellowship in my assembly, that's, that's a good argument. It really is. Radically changed lives, trophies of God's grace are a good argument. When the Lord reaches out his hand in, to, in power, it's, it's a good argument. So her rival is provoking her, and Hannah responds by praying to the Lord um, for years. I already mentioned to you the group of elders in North Carolina that have been, been praying for revival for over a decade. I mentioned to you Spanish Wells. Um, I just had the privilege of praying with them for years before, before um, and they were praying long before that. Uh, it was such a joy to watch that whole process unfold right in front of my eyes. There was a revival conference in 09 in Wales. I've systematically worked my way through most of the messages. They're available online. Um, one of the preachers is David Legg, and boy, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed listening to this brother deeply, deeply burdened before the Lord. Um, they've been laboring in prayer for years. And, and you see this. Um, there's a work, there's an anguish, there's a labor, much like childbirth, to giving birth to a work of God. Prayer is not a shortcut to the life that we want. Lord, I don't like working 40 hours a week. Could you just drop a meteor in my backyard and I'll sell it for $1.7 million? And, you know, it's not, it's not just a shortcut to the life that we want. 
Um, the process of prayer, the anguish of prayer, the burden of prayer is part of the journey. She finally comes to the point of, of saying, Lord, if you will give me a male child, I will offer him to you. And I find this is part of the journey as well. Um, it doesn't say a lot of detail there, but um, you start praying about a felt need. And then eventually the, the Spirit of God starts to kind of correct and refine. And why are you praying for that? Are you praying for your desires or for his desires? And little by little, she comes to the point where she says, if you will bless me, if you will answer my prayer, I will offer him back up to you. So it's this guidance in prayer, right? The process is part of the journey. Now, I do want you to see this. Um, we won't, well, you can read it in verse number 10. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed. I have a box around that word prayed. So in verse 10, she prays. In verse 12, and it happened as she continued praying. And then in verse 15, Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul. All I want you to notice is the increase intensity. Increase in intensity. So she prayed. She continued praying. She poured out her soul. In verse 8, she weeps. In verse 10, she weeps in anguish. In verse 8, she's in grief. In verse 10, she's in bitterness of soul. And so my point of application is simple. Are you willing to labor for years to see a work of God done in our day? The Lord Jesus is a worthy goal. He's a worthy uh, aspiration. Intimacy with him in prayer is worth it, regardless of circumstance. I'm not just chasing God for some circumstance. Like you could even call Great Awakening 3, that's a circumstance, right? I'm not just chasing God for some circumstance. I'm chasing him for him. And so regardless of what happens, it's a worthy occupation. Are you willing to labor for years? Okay, point number three. The Lord did exceedingly abundantly beyond all that she could ask or think. Again, point number three, the Lord did exceedingly abundantly beyond all that she could ask or think. Um, I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but you can write in your notes, verse 19 through 28. You can read it on your own if you like, but that's the fulfillment. She asked the Lord for a man child. She got a Samuel. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that also just like the Lord? Years ago, and I know I've told this story here, and I'll just make this quick. Um, years ago, we needed a family vehicle. Um, we had a family vehicle that was breaking down. We'd go on 12-hour trips, um, drive home. The Lord always got it back to Topeka. And, then, <laughs> and so we just knew, like, we're going to drive, like, 12,000 miles over the course of a summer. We need a family vehicle. And so, and so I looked for the full-time worker manual. Like, how do, you, how do you get a family vehicle as a full-time worker? And I couldn't find my full-time worker manual. And so I didn't really know what to do. So I was asking the Lord, what does a full-time worker do? And uh, anyways, we went and test drove some things. We thought, well, it makes sense to buy, you know, a couple years old after you, you get that major depreciation, just a simple van. We kind of found what we thought would make sense. And so we said to the salesman, we want to pray about this and think about this for 24 hours. And to his credit, he said, okay. I was really shocked right, that he wasn't trying to, like, give me the hard close. Um, but, but he said, okay. So we went home. Rebecca prayed first. Daniel prayed. Lynn prayed. And then I prayed. Lord, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go get a car loan and buy this van? Just please show us what you want us to do. And, um, and the, a couple hours later, we get this phone call. And I picked it up. Hello. This is my house phone at the time. And they said, Scott, yep. They said, is Lynn there? Yep. Do you have a speaker phone? I said, yeah. 
said, can you put me on speakerphone? Yes. Um, and so I went and got Lynn, put him on speakerphone, and, and as best as I can remember, I think this is word for word, they said, we want you to know that we love you, but we love the Lord more than we love you. And the Lord has told us in no uncertain terms to give you our minivan. And so, so we asked, all four of us, now the minivan that they gave us was, um, I think, two and a half years old, almost three years old, uh, 45,000 miles. It's a Toyota Sienna XLE, if that means anything to you. It has the heated leather seats and the six CD changer and the sunroof and the power lift gate and the power doors. And like it has all of the bells and whistles. And I've driven this thing all over North America um, for years now. And um, I probably every other time we get in that van, I, I just say, Lord, thank you. I mean, it's been a huge, massive blessing. And, and it's just like the Lord. What I would have done for myself would have been a payment and the, and the simple van, which was fine. I mean, that, that would have been perfectly adequate, right? What the Lord did for us was say, no payment, and he gave me the really nice one. Um, and, and it's just like the Lord to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Now, in the eternal scope of things, who cares about a minivan? All, all, I, all I'm telling you the story for is that is like the character of the Lord, right? I'm not going to take the time to do it, but the Lord is... is you could stand and tell stories of the goodness of God, couldn't you? He's just such an amazingly, overwhelmingly good God. And so you see Hannah in this story. She says, give me a man child, I'll give him back. Right? Give me a male child, I'll give him back. And so she asks for a man child, and she gets a Samuel. I mean, what, a, what an amazing testimony to the goodness of the Lord. Now, point number four in the outline here. Hannah offered her... Oh, did I give you the point of application? Point of application for point number three, if you're taking notes, are you willing to be blessed? Are you willing to be blessed? Remember when I told you that there's times where I, I want to go down to my office and get on my face before the Lord, but then there's a part of me that I don't want to do that, right? It's funny how practical these things are. The real question is, are you willing to be blessed? There's a burden to it. There's a labor to it. There's a... I mean, many times I've thought, it's funny, because I, I, think, I think, oh, right? There's an anguish to it, but I do not want to go back. Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. I don't want to go back to where I was less sensitive to what I would think of historically as just little sin. I had less of a sense of how disgusted an infinitely holy God is at, at sin. I don't want to go back to less intimacy and enjoyment of Jesus Christ. I don't want to go back to when I wasn't burdened. Hannah, Hannah offered herself. And that's point number four. Hannah offered herself. She basically says, I will go through the pain and discomfort of, child, of childbirth. In verse 11, then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. Now I have to stop here. This is, I just saw this at the men's Bible study in Georgia. Um, and this was so good. This is the first mention of that title, O Lord of Hosts. You know the law of first mention in Scripture? This is the first mention of this title. What does Lord of Hosts mean? The Lord of Armies. That's right, the Lord of Armies. What did Hannah need? She needed a Lord of Armies to do something for her that she couldn't do for herself, right? What do we need? Ah, I like this. What do we need? We need a Lord of Armies, right? Now, to me... North America is a lot bigger than Spanish Wells, right? To him, it's not any different. 
He has the keys in his hand. That's what I was crying about on the plane from Colorado to Atlanta. You have the keys in your hand. You can do this. You're the only one who can do this. What do we need? We need the Lord of hosts, right? That's who she calls out to. Lord of hosts, you can do what nobody else can do for me. And the Lord did exceedingly abundantly beyond all that she could ask or think. That's what we need. We need the Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies. Oh, we need Him. I love that. I love that. She cried out to the Lord of the armies. The Lord of hosts. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and forget not your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I have a box around this. I will give. She offered herself. I'll go through three, you know, the third trimester. Swollen feet, sleepless nights. The, the lasting lifelong consequences of bringing a child into the world. I will offer myself to give birth to what ended up being a tremendous work of God, worker of God, Samuel. I don't know a better way to think about it other than there's a travail um, and anguish to giving birth to a work of God. And so, point of application, are you willing to offer yourself? Are you willing to offer yourself to the Lord? It won't be how the Lord asks someone else to offer themselves. It'll be different. Because the Lord has a different work for every one of us, right? Praise the Lord. He predestined our good works before the foundation of the world that we might walk in them. Praise the Lord that He has a plan for each one of us individually. But are you willing to offer yourself very intentionally? I would even encourage it physically. Go get before the Lord and just say, afresh, I just I want you to have everything. You know how feeble I am. You know how like something comes up in my life and I go, <gasps> right? And then it stretches my faith. I mean, you know me better than I know myself. But whatever this is, I wish I had more to give. But, but whatever it is, um, in total, I just want you to have all of it, right? Hannah offered herself to give birth to a great work of God. Point number five. This is the last point. Let's read 12 and 13. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Point number five. The religious leaders of the day saw her agony and misunderstood it. The religious leaders of the day saw her agony and misunderstood it. I beg of you, and I mean this very literally, I beg of you that you would please pray that the religious leaders of our day, when the Spirit of God moves, that they'll recognize it for what it is. That they won't be against it. That they'll recognize it for what it is and that they'll be for what the living God is doing in a coming generation. I know a young guy... I don't think he's being critical for what I, from what I can tell. Like, I don't think he has a critical spirit, but he's frustrated. He's a zealous, gifted, young evangelist in North America, and he doesn't want to go to Asia. That's not what the Lord has burdened him to do. He doesn't want to go to Africa. His heart longs for the North America. 
But he was the first person that ever said it this way, and I remember being struck by his forthrightness. But he said, I just feel like I'm, I'm a young Samuel. He wasn't complimenting himself. He's a humble guy. But he just said, I feel like I'm surrounded by Eli's, by fat old men that can no longer hear the voice of the Lord. And he was not being arrogant or cocky. He just was sad. He hears the voice of the Lord, and he weeps over souls, and he longs for these things. And um, anyways, all that is just simply to say, would you please pray with me that when the Spirit of God moves, that the leaders of the people of God will see it and recognize it for what it is. Churches boasting an all-time high in attendance might have to admit an all-time low in spiritual births. This is Ravenhill. Many have more adoptions than births. When believers lacking births become burdened, and when soul sterility sickens us, then we will pulsate with holy fear, pray with holy fervor, and produce with holy fertility. May the Lord give us help. Father, we just want to commit this discussion to you. We pray, Lord God, that you would just minister to each one here uh, what they need. Lord, including me, um, I joyfully just lift up our entire group individually and pray that you would just lead us on help us to become a people of prayer that we're not right now it's one thing to compare ourselves to normal christianity in north america it's one thing to compare ourselves to the saints in this assembly it's another thing altogether to compare ourselves to the beauty of jesus christ and the intimacy that he enjoyed with his heavenly father father please we pray that every Christian in this room would keep their eyes on the lovely Son of God and that they would press on in this realm of prayer to be like Jesus Christ. I am such a baby. I have such a long way to go in this whole subject of prayer. Lord, I want, I want to know you better. I want to enjoy that intimate place with you more. Lord, I don't think it's too bold to come before you and say, I want to walk with you and talk with you. I want what you describe in your word. You called your servants, different ones of them, you called them the friend of God. We read that Jesus Christ in his beautiful humility will stand at the door and knock and if any man will open the door, then he'll come in and dine with them and fellowship with them. Lord, we just want to say amen to that. Father, it's not, it's not an instantaneous thing. We can't snap our fingers and go from where we are to where we want to be in prayer. It's such a learning process. It's such a growth process. And so we do cry out, Lord, teach us to pray. Please, Father, teach us to pray. You're the worthy ambition, and you're what we're chasing after. Father, you know the desire of my heart. Revival, Great Awakening 3, we desperately need it. But Father, that is so secondary to just, just enjoying you and chasing after you. Father, I pray that you would just help us, to, help us to be jealous the way that the Apostle Paul was in 2 Corinthians, that Jesus Christ would get the pure, devoted love from his bride that he deserves. He's not getting what he deserves from the bride of Christ in North America. His name is mocked. Lord, we could easily take our place along Ezra and Nehemiah and say the city of God lies in ruins. We don't have a city per se, but we have a work of God too. And the work of God desperately needs you. 
Father, all of these things, they will have applications on a local level. This is your word. It's recorded for our benefit. I know the spirit of power will apply it how it needs to be applied. And we specifically ask for that. For the oversight that's here, give them wisdom, we pray. Draw them close to yourself and close to each other, close to their wives. May they be so sensitive to your leadership. And Lord, anything that you want to do in this assembly, we pray that you would convince the oversight of it. You always honor your authority, Lord, always. We can think our way out of those such things, but you always honor the structure that you created. And so we, we confidently pray that, that whatever you want for this assembly, put it in the minds and the hearts of the, the men that you have raised up to lead these people. Anything. Things they haven't thought of or things they've been burdened about for years. Father, I pray for every Christian that we would go to that quiet place with you and that we would grow to enjoy those times more and more and there would be such a joy and a strength and abiding in you that, that we need to grow in. Father, we just put all our confidence in you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Without you, no good comes from this weekend at all. And so we just cast ourselves before you and we pray that thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We commit our way to you until we break bread, honoring your son tomorrow. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.